This is Double XL Shot Callers, conversations with hip hop's power players. I'm your host, Somia Krishnamurthy, your favorite rapper's favorite journalist. Steve-O, I'm super happy to have you here. A&R extraordinaire. Um, I feel you're the man of multiple jobs. So how do you describe yourself? Talent management. Okay. I feel like I'm a talent manager. I have to deal with the nuances and the daily ins and outs of dealing with artists. So I don't like to put a title on it because I feel like that's like a standard that someone else created when the true core of it is like artist management. So you're very humble. I know you have a very impressive title at Universal Music Group. So for those who don't know, what's kind of that official impressive title that you've earned over the years? Oh man, Uh, well right now I'm Senior Vice President of A&R and Artist Relations. Um, And I do things at Def Jam, so pretty much it. So you're very humble, like you're one of the most exciting A&Rs. You've worked with some of the biggest artists, Jeezy, YG, Nipsey, Dave East, really some of the biggest names. Mm -hmm. So take me back. What was your first foray into hip hop? Um, working for Star Trek. Okay. Started at Star Trek as an intern a long, long, long time ago. And that was kind of like my first uh, dabbling dish for like rap music. Every, I would say like my first encounters, I used to basically talk to Pusha T every Wednesday. Every Wednesday at 8 a.m. when SoundScan came out. Every Wednesday for a good So Push would call you and be like, read me the numbers or tell yeah, me. Yeah, I was that. an office assistant, so he would always want to know what the what the sound scan numbers were for the week because he was just so into like the business apparatus of like how sales were going, who was selling, when they were selling, what kind of artists were trending. And every Wednesday morning at like eight thirty, nine o'clock, he'd call me at like clockwork and say, Hey, Carlos, read it to me. <laughs> and I just run down SoundScan from. We go over for like 20 minutes. He'd be like, all right, call you later. That's so crazy. It makes sense now why he would kind of take on that executive role at Good Music if his mind was already working in a business capacity. For sure, for sure. So, you know, you work at Star Trek. How do you get that job? I mean, clearly this isn't something you went on like monster.com and found this job. Did you know someone in the industry? Just walk by and give them your resume. Like, how do you get such a plum opportunity? Uh, actually, it was really luck and uh, the love of a few friends. Okay. At the time. Now, were they based in Virginia? Like their office? Where was their no, office? They, they were actually working out of Arista Records. Okay. Right? Literally across the street from Universal Music Group. Okay. On um, 56th Street, 56th and Broadway. Okay. Like that block right there. Yeah. And at that time, I was just dibbling down. I was going to be a doctor. Really? Yeah, I was a biology major. Very good. See, I did biology, but I couldn't get past um, orgo. I hate, yo, I... It's hard. (laughs) And I'm Asian, so you think I'd be really good at science, but it's really hard. It's so unnecessary to read all those books for that type of stuff. Like, I don't want to read none of that. Yeah. But... What kind of doctor did you want to be? I was into, like, clinical research. Okay. I was was interning at at a pharmaceutical company at the time. Very cool. So I was, like, 19... It's like 18, 19, and I was just trying to figure out what I was doing, but my mom was like, hey, you get this pharmaceutical company and all these doctors are mentoring you, so. Whoa. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, all right, I'll be a biology major. This is cool. Yeah. You make a lot of money. Yeah, sure. You drive nice cars. Nice cars. smart as hell, so I might as well just do it. Yeah. Were you in college during this time? Yeah, I was in college. Where Definitely. did you go to school? I went to Kane University. Okay. For like, until I quit. Okay. So were you one of those people that you got grossed out by the dissections? Like, I couldn't even get that far. No, it's not even the dissections. When you look at the pictures of like, all right, the the, the department that I worked in at the time was oncology. Okay. It's like co- cancer research. So just seeing like the results of the clinical trials when they're trying new medicines and, and new like vaccines and things that have metastasized, like all kinds of cancers, uh-huh. like skin cancers, whatever, whatever. It was just really... Interesting to see how those things affected the body. Wow. They weren't as gruesome as I thought. Like, there was a department down the hall from me called anti-infectives. So they were more like the hepatitis C's and the the AIDS and the HIV stuff. And that stuff was pretty, like, you know, anything that had, like, open wounds or anything that festered the skin was really, like, really gruesome. So Yeah. 
So you're working in this lab. Things are going great. Mm -hmm. What kind of pulls you to the Arista building to start working at Star Trek? Well, I had a lot of friends back then that used to rap. Okay. So when they were rapping. Any, anyone we might know? Anyone who kind of made it? No, nobody you would know. Okay. Not that bad, but. Okay. But like you know, local we're, artists in New York. We're, we're just local kids just trying to find our way and do stuff. And I mean, that kind of led me to where I'm at now. And we just did a lot of, we just did like a lot of like researching and trying to get involved with people in the industry and just couldn't find a way. And then one day I just said, man, I, I try to pride myself on being the mastermind behind it. Okay. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to just go work at a record company because then I won't have to worry about this. Arbitrarily. We won't have to fight from the outside in. We'll fight from the inside out. And they were like, that's genius. <laughs> so one day. Good job, Dr. Carlos. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then one day there was a, um, back in the day, there used to be a website called allaccess.com. Okay. Allaccess.com was like an industry directory to everybody that worked at record company. I feel I've been on that. Did you have to pay for it? Was it a subscription Yeah, it was like a $24.95 yes. thing. I don't even know how I... I didn't even have a credit card back then. Right. Long story short, I got to it somehow and got a printout, and I literally printed out every like, I printed out like every every page they had, and I went through it with a with a highlighter. And another like old school friend of mine used to always tell me like, man, what you should do? You should read the Double XL. Wow. And you should read some other the hip hop magazines and any name that you see in those hip hop magazines. You need to write, get a notebook and write those names in a notebook and next to it, write what company they work at and what their job role was. Wow. And once you memorize that, you can figure it out. So as I printed out this thick list, mm. I was like, oh, that person does that. So I was able to hand pick and choose who did what and decipher the assistants versus the executives. That's because brilliant. Yeah, it's pretty smart, right? Yeah. I used to do that with the liner notes. I would always read the rap liner notes. Yeah. Who was the executive producer? Who do they thank? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, if Nas is thanking this person, and wait, Puff also thanked that person, so they're important. And I would just kind of remember yeah. certain names, you know, of that era, Kevin Lyles and Lior Cohen. Like, okay, these guys are important because I keep seeing their names over and over. Yeah, for sure. Like, the liner notes was like a thing that I feel like that helped me out a lot. Yeah. The thank yous. I was more interested in the thank yous than actually who produced the records. I cared right. more about... Uh, like who they think because I was like these must be personal people to totally me. these are personal and you could see based upon if it paragraph one were like the super close friends yeah if you were paragraph three or four it was like oh you just you just <laughs> okay I get it but I really studied those names and they were, they were like nicknames like yeah Buddha blood, you know that type totally of so yeah I read those things but after I got this stack of contacts I highlighted all of them yeah and then I literally because I worked at like I was in admin hmm. administrative assistant i would put all that stuff with my skill set into like an excel sheet wow and then i printed them all on labels and got everyone's address wow and what i do is i took that that's a mail merge by the way if anyone wants to look at I don't excel even remember how to do that <laughs> right. anymore. and then i took that and then i put that into like these letters i forgot how i did like took that excel sheet and implemented it into word and i made the same letter duplicated mm -hmm. with every address on it and all their fax numbers and then one night after work, I sat there and I had about 80 pages. I handpicked 80 people. Wow. And out of 80 people, I had like 80 pieces of printed out, printed out uh, like a letter with cover page, resume. And I sat there and I fed them all through the fax machine. At your um, biology job? Yep. All right, for Faxed sure. Them all. Out of 80 people, three people called me back. Who were those three people? Star Trek. Okay. Sony Music Urban. Wow. And I want to say J Records at the time. That's pretty good. Like three major, major companies. Yeah, it was like, it was cool. It was like, oh man. So I was like, okay, I'm a big Nas fan. So I'm going to go to Sony Urban. Nice. So I went up there. I was like, by far, that's what I'm going to go do. Yeah. I'm, going to go, I'm going to Sony. Yeah. Went what era Nas are we talking about right now? Like I am, Stillmatic. This is before Stillmatic. This okay. is right after Nostradamus. Okay. Oh, no, no. We might have been on the heels of Nostradamus. Okay. Right. This okay. Like, it's like late '90s. We're talking. Yeah. This is right after the I Am breakup. Yep. And it was like still like whatever, mm -hmm. whatever, and trying to figure it out. And I remember I went up there. I was like, man, I'm gonna go meet Nas. I'm gonna meet Steve Stout. <laughs> right. I'm gonna meet all these people just by going to work at this job. Amazing. I went up there. 
So he means the girlfriend went like in slacks and a button up shirt, nice and belt and hard bottom shoes. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is like I went there, everybody's in jeans and sneakers. I'm like, this is weird. But my mom used to tell me, like, dress the part you want to be. Absolutely. Not the part that you apply for. So I went there, I was like, I'm spiffy these Yeah. Yeah, here looking all regular. Right. Then I was in there and some dude comes in. I don't even remember the dude. I remember it was a corner of this it was a corner of the building. It was like section off for Rough House Records. Hmm. Something like that. And when I went in there, it was like a room with a long table. Yeah. And there was like eight interns there. And I'm like, this is weird. It's eight people here. We're all gonna do the same thing. And then some guy comes in, he says, Hey, <laughs> what's your name? I said, Steve. He said, Can you run downstairs and get me like two donuts, a car? Matter of fact, get a pen and a paper. Wow. And I was like, this is my first day. I'm like, okay. It's like, I'm ready. Got the pen and the paper. I was a little confused. I'm like, all right. Was this the interview or you got the job? I just called in and they just yeah. said, pull just up. Just come in. Wow. Pull up. There was no interview. They there just was said, no interview. They said, just come. So I go there. We sit down and we're going through the, And he's like, come in. Take, he's like, give me two donuts. No, get a pen and paper. Come over here. I was like, all right, cool. I got the pen and paper. And he started outlining this long laundry list. I was like, all of right. donuts? It was like donuts, drinks, water, food, sandwiches. This is like... Okay. And I'm just like, well, I don't really understand this. It could be for Nas. You don't know. No, definitely wasn't. Okay. I was like, for that guy over there? He's right. sitting in that little cube over there? I'm like, nah, this ain't it, bro. He's like, here, here's the money. And I was like, all right. And I remember I went back to my desk and I sat down. Mind you, I've been there about two hours now. Right. It's like nine in the morning, I got there super early. I sit down, and I'm just like, what am I doing? <laughs> and the guy came back, he said, all right, and don't forget something. I was like, all right, cool. By that time, I just felt so violated. Wow. I left all the money and the piece of paper and the pen on the desk. Hmm. And I was like, all right, I'll be right back. And I never went back inside. Whoa. So now as I'm walking out, I call one of my good friends who was like really in tune with me, like doing this whole thing my whole family was against it like what are you doing right you got this a good ass weird. job what are you, you doing got a good job a good future ahead mm. of you, you got a, a, a good mind like why are you wasting it to go do some like rap shit like, right like what are you doing i'm just like i don't know so i went there i left and i was on my way home i'm on the train i'm talking to a man on the phone i'm like man it's just crazy like this ain't what i thought it was he's like no man you gotta talk to my boy i'm like who's your boy right he's like my boy from star trek i'm like Who's your boy at Star Trek? Right. You from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Like, what who, What boy you got at Star Trek? Right. He's like, trust me, I sent him my demo. I talk to him every day. Oh. Because I sent him my demo. I'm like, <laughs> my friend at the time, he's like, he's a super hustler when it comes to that. So I'm like, this guy's crazy. I was like, all right, put him on the phone. He's like, yo. He's like, just call him right now. Just act like, just tell him I act like I was you. And I'll tell him, like, you acted like me already? He was like, yeah, just act like he's like, his name is Sean. Just call Sean and Sean going to show you love. I was like, all right. Cool. I called Sean. Had my same slacks and stuff on. He was, I called Sean. Sean was like, yeah, where you at? I said, yeah, I'm on my way home. He's like, come, come by the office. Right. Went by the office. It was at 888 7th Avenue. Oh, Arista building. Mm. At the close of when Arista was literally closing. Mm-hmm. And I went in there. I went and met with him. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Whoa. Small company. Yeah. Good people. Yeah. We were like having a good time and it's like, man, this just feels warm. I'm like, I want to work here. So ever since then, I came every day to work. Wow. And I interned day in and day out. Did you get paid at all? Stipend? No. Anything? For the first like five months, I didn't get paid at all. Okay. But I sat there and that was the first person that ever hired me was my good friend, Nicole Planton. She hired me and she's like, all right, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. I was like, all right, okay, I'll do whatever. Wow. And I told him, I got out of coma. I was like, yeah, they gave it to me. It's going to be good. He's like, yeah. And I went every day. I went to work every day. So you quit your job at I the I didn't quit. Oh, okay. I was still going. I was like, hey, I got an internship. So what I'll do is I'll go to school from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Okay. And I'll go to work from 11 to 3. And then from 3 to 8, I'll go to the city. Okay. That was my day every day for like five months. Wow. After five months, they were like, man, you know, we really want to pay you. Yeah. And we should do it. And blah, You're like, blah, I would blah. like to get paid. That'd be great. I was like, that'd be great. I'm like, holy crap, I'm about to get paid. I'm working. I'm in the craziest things. And I got paid. They paid me like $300 a week. Okay. It was the greatest thing in the world. I'm getting paid. I was making way more from my other job. Sure. But I went back to my I was like, see, my look, I did this. I turned over a job already. She's yeah. like, I'm impressed. And after that, I was just working with them. And When did you officially quit the biology gig? 
soon as I got my job with my little three hundred dollars a week, I said, "This is over." Wow, I'm going full time. Okay, now were you staying at home? Because I was living at my mom's house. Okay, good. Yeah, I was in my mom's <laughs> Save house. Save a little bit of money. <laughs> that little three hundred dollars a week was tough though. Yeah, that barely that paid one hundred fifty on my phone bill. Mm-hmm. Then my bus pass was like two twenty a month. Back into the CF. Yeah, then for you sure. got to eat. Then you got to be. It was it was tough. Yeah, but it was cool. It was good. It was a great experience, and I I did that for like a year. Total from top to bottom. We mm. moved from Arista to Interscope. Okay. And went through that whole thing. And then at a point, it was just like, I just couldn't, I just looked at it like, I can't, I love this. And they were like, you got to figure out what you really want to do. Wow. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you really got to figure out what you want to do. And I'm like, man, I'm just really excited to be here. And I'm just trying to figure this out. And then they were like, well, look, you're either going to do what we want you to do or you got to go. What did they want you to do that you were hesitant about? It wasn't that. It was just like more assistant stuff. And I felt like I... You were ready to do something a little bit I was ready to do something, but it wasn't really them. They were just like... It was just a small company. It's like mm-hmm. great things going on. So it was like... It was very ambitious for me. So I, at that time, I was like, nah, man. We're in Interscope. We're on the third floor. I was like... I started walking around and trying to meet people. Yeah. And the other companies like, yo, I'm going to try to... Cause it's like who this, was in the building at that time? It was like G-Unit in the building? Like who was in that Interscope building? was on the eighth floor. Okay. Um, seventh floor was like Universal Motown. Mm-hmm. Um, sixth floor was like it was like those kind of companies, yeah. like SRC and like sure. those type of company. Mm-hmm. A lot of the all the labels that weren't that were under Universal that weren't Def Jam mm-hmm. were basically in that building. Yeah, a lot of good networking for yeah, sure. So I was trying to network and whatever, whatever. So long story short, somebody told on me. It's like, yo, this guy's up here. They're like, yo, you can't be doing that. We gotta let you go. Wow. And I was like, but he's like, but we love you and we got mad respect for you. So I was like, we're going to try to help you get something else. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So they fired you because you were networking? Not networking in the sense of like, it's like when you have a job, there's certain boundaries, parameters that you have. Sure. You can't go outside of them, especially yeah. in small factions. And I yeah. went outside of it. Okay. That's really just what it was. I mm-hmm. just went outside of my boundary and I actually deserved it. Yeah, for sure. Landscaper. But that taught me a valuable lesson about like staying in your lane. You know yes. what I'm saying? There's a balance between ambition and boundary. And you got to understand when to take a shot. Because if I knew if that was going to be the outcome, I'd have took a way more riskier shot than that. Totally. I probably would have went to Doug Morris's office and knocked on the door. Be like, what's going on? Probably would have did that. But yeah. I was just really just comfortable and just I knew everybody. But that was like my family for a long time. And they taught me a lot of stuff. And we always remain cool because they were the ones that actually like helped me get my Def Jam job. Wow. How much interaction did you have with Pharrell, if any? Towards the first six months was just me, Nicole, and Rob Walker. Okay. And then a young lady named Yanley Artley. And then towards the end, it became more Rob, Loic Villapontu, and Pharrell. Okay. So Pharrell me. will come into the office. No, we just, we go to him in studios. I, you know, as a small family knit thing, yeah. like, it was like going to your uncle's house. So it was like sure. you get included in things that you never thought you'd be included mm-hmm. into. It was just like, I just got folded into a lot of those things kind of like by accident. Yeah. Then it just became like a, you know, you just become like your family, you just become like a fixture and the things that they're doing and the schedule. Like, hey, we're going to have brunch at so-and-so in Brooklyn on Saturday. Come by. Right. I'll come by. Oh, we're going to be in the studio tonight at eight. Come by. All right, come by. Yeah. Just, just come hang out and... Then you realize you're hanging out with Pharrell and Mariah Carey and Gwen Stefani. And wow. Kali, and then you, Say something, Era. Yeah. And then there's Nelly and then there's Sean. Then it's just, you're like, this is really weird. Were you starstruck at all? Yeah, but I kept it in. Okay. Kept it really cool. Who was the person that you just kind of bugged out over, but internally? I think I want to say at first it had to be like, when I first saw Pharrell, I was like, this is Pharrell. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Like, I would talk to him on the phone all the time. Sure. Never when I met him, I was just, it was a little easier to absorb it, but it's like, this is weird. It's like, kind of a big deal. Not a big deal, but it's like weird. It's like, we talk and he, like, you know, he, like, he knows me. <laughs> totally. But it's like, you're on TV and stuff and like, you're like a huge producer. Like, yeah. My friends would never believe this, but it's like, you hold it, you play it cool, you like, yeah, whatever. And yeah, after whatever. a while, it just becomes, you know, you guys, you know, you exchange phone numbers and you just become friends and then you just, then it just becomes kind of second nature to you. I think the biggest one for me is when I saw Gwen Stefani. Okay. I was like, Phew. this was in the studio. Yeah, I was like, that's, they made Hollaback Girl on that ASR 10 right there. Wow. And I was like, that's Gwen Stefani. And yeah. Like, it was like cool stuff. Was she that. nice? Down to Super earth? Super nice. She okay. didn't pay no attention to me, but <laughs> right. she was humble nonetheless. <laughs> totally. So 
I did that, and then they, long story short, I ended up, in the meantime, in the bridge of it, I was working with Cypher Sounds and Donna Grin. Okay. In what capacity? Cypher Sounds was an A&R at Star Trek, and then probably left to go pursue his own, like, management thing. And they okay. were, like, working on, like, artists like Daytona, and he had, like, his comedy show going on. And they had, like, a lot of great things going on. So they just took me in. They was like, hey, you know, as you're on your bridge, I was like, I swear to goodness, if I get back into a label, I ain't gonna mess this up again. Right. <laughs> I learned a very valuable political thing. Yeah. And I was like, when I go back, I'm gonna be, not on my best behavior, but I'm going to relish the moment. Because not like I didn't take advantage of it, but I really worked so hard at Star Trek for the brand and for the company. Just mm-hmm. try to do my job at the highest level so that way their things can function really well. I really lost sense of what I wanted to accomplish. Okay. What I had set out to do in, in the beginning when I first came in. Yeah. I kind of got entangled in like what the company needs as opposed to what I was trying to accomplish as an individual. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a fine balance though. Right. Cause on one hand you were kind of reprimanded for not staying in your lane, but the other side of it is what's the balance between repping for the company but not losing sight of your own kind of individual brand. Yeah, and it was like, and it was a blessing at the same time because even when I got fired, I was really upset. I was like, I just felt like, I personally felt like I embarrassed them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I got. So they kind of felt you were just doing too much. Why are you? On they don't. They didn't feel floors? like I was doing too much. They didn't want to. They didn't want to fire me. Wow. How I took my perspective. I felt yeah. like they didn't want to fire me, but it was really more or less like, we can't tolerate certain things above a certain standard because we are dealing with celebrities and superstar artists and we can't make it okay for you to do that and Mm. someone else do it so i feel like more or less i was just a victim of not a victim but i was kind of like a a disciplinary example of what you cannot do when you're working with high profile people like that which which is a huge kind of lesson right it's a great lesson yeah and, you know, I just, I was really upset because I thought I embarrassed them. Mm-hmm. I, really, I was really, I felt guilty for a while because I felt like I embarrassed them. But somebody was like, no, you embarrassed. It's like, bro, we didn't even want to do that. It's like, it's not. And we were still friends. We're st- all still friends to this day. Like, I see Pharrell. Right. We kick it. We work together. We're we doing some things together now. And it's like, I see Rob as like a good, like, friend and mentor. And mm. it's like, I see Loic. I can call him anytime. It was, it, was just, it was just really like, in the time I was like a young kid, I was like 19 years old. So I was just like. It was like all traumatic. I feel like I got a shot and then the, the, the rug got swept from underneath me. Yeah. For for something that I did. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And not for something that, you know. It wasn't like the work was bad. It was more. Yeah, it was like something that moving. I, the one day I slipped up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even want to say something. The one day that I got beside myself. Yeah. It cost me an opportunity that I valued a lot. I think that's a valuable lesson that I think all of us kind of go through, especially when you're young, because you're just excited. You want to do the work. You want to shake every hand, meet everyone. But I got a very similar from one of my bosses, a bad boy. He was like, put your head down, play your position. And that was some of the best advice, which they don't teach you in school. You know, they don't teach you how to play the politics of this industry because people have relationships you don't know about. Or maybe people don't get along. So you coming in as the intern or assistant, mm-hmm. you could be stepping on toes. You don't even realize it. Yeah. And I remember at the time, they were we were even like contemplating the, the opportunity of being like, would you, if Pharrell's assistant at the time was leaving, would you consider it if, if you were asked to do it? Sure. And I was just like, ooh. That sounds pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And then it was like conversation. Not that it didn't it went away. It just kind of never progressed. Mm-hmm. And then that happened. Yeah. Then I was like, that's weird. So as you're dealing now with like interns or assistants, do you kind of take them aside now that you're the executive, kind of show them how to move a little bit? For sure. Because one thing I did when I was at my job, I'd get there at nine o'clock every morning. Mm. I mean, I had to leave my house in New Jersey at 7 a.m. Wow. Ride an hour bus in traffic, then walk the 12 blocks from 42nd Street to Universal on 57th Street. Yeah. And... And figure out and get there and set up before anyone got there. See? Because I wanted to make sure I got there before Nicole. So wow. Nicole coming at 9, 30, 10, I get there at 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So by the time the first, I turn on the lights. Yeah. And then I made sure I was the last person to leave. Yep. So I would I would purposely not leave 
until everybody everyone leaves. Yeah. Like if everyone left at seven, I I would leave at maybe like seven thirty. Totally. But in if case every, someone comes back real quick. Yeah, but <laughs> Rob was the type of guy. He'd leave at six and come back at nine. See, yeah. So I just make sure I stay there. So I just ended up staying till ten o'clock every night. See. Then I take another hour ride back to New Jersey and get home by like twelve, twelve thirty, and get up and do it again. Yeah. So I really got like my time, and it was like a, it was a thing I wanted it so bad. I was like, there's no way that no one's gonna outdo me. Yeah. In this. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Right. Because I'm from New Jersey. People know when you're from New Jersey, like, and you're working in New York, it's like, New York covers New Jersey. Like, there's no major market in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So people feel like if you're from New Jersey, like from New York, but you're not. But you're not, yeah. There's no radio station here. There's nothing here. There's like, you got to come into the city and compete with all the New, New York City people. And all the transplants, like people like me coming in from Michigan. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, weird. So it was like, I felt really proud of what I was accomplishing that I was in this space. I was like, oh, I beat everybody in my hometown who's trying to do this. Absolutely. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fail. So right. after I lost my job and it was cool and I went back to like scrap, Sife was like, I got you, bro, because we worked together for so long and we had like a good relationship. like, I understand. It's like, everybody was like, yo, Sife, look after this kid. And they really were like, we're going to try to help you find another opportunity. Great. Wow. And then lo and behold, Someone made a phone call yeah, to Def Jam for me and got me a meeting there. So did you put that out there? Like, I want to work at Def Jam? Or nah. they just kind of saw your hustle? At the time, we was, like, working on a um, this artist that was signed to Def Jam through Star Trek. His name was Fam Lay. Oh, my God. Uh, now B is manager. Family. I love so Family. I used to always have to go up to Def Jam and collect the vinyl and bring it back to the Star Trek office. Okay. To send out to whoever we need to send it out to. So I... When I went to Dev Jam and had to go on 825 and go up that large rotunda. Mm-hmm. Big it's very cold. impressive. It's very, it's like, very impressive. Over the top. Yeah. And I was like, this is Dev Jam's? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I was like, one day I'm going to work here. And who was in the office at that time? Like, I feel like DTP probably was in there. Everybody. Okay. I actually went to go pick up the vinyl from Sam Crespo. Sam Crespo. Love him. He's yeah, on Red so Atlantic. We were, yeah. We're going over there and I'm collecting. He's like, who are you kidding? He's like, I'm just going to get the damn vinyl. Give me the vinyl. Right. <laughs> Gave me the vinyl, went back, whatever, whatever. But, but I don't think you realized, like, even in that moment, you were networking, right? I mean, you were just doing your job, picking up the vinyl, but other industry people were seeing you, saw your face, probably heard your name. Like, it was probably more impactful yeah. than you realized. I Honestly, at the time, it was, like, answering Rob Walker's phone and, like, kind of, like, supporting, like, the whole Pharrell business. I met so many, like, high-up people and artists. Wow. It was, like, I already had, like, relationships built in with a lot of these people beforehand like okay. producers and like who it was already built in so going to dev jam was like oh i know him already i know you you don't remember me but i remember you from wow. the studio or whatever whatever or from your printout of the 80 names oh yeah for sure you were highlighted on my printout for sure and it was just like who was running def jam at the time leor was it leor okay mm-hmm. this is like on the hills of leor being there and i remember Leon and them were just getting out and going to Warner. Okay. And L.A. Reid had came in. Okay. And there was like a big like stir up that L.A. Reid was going over such a prestigious hip hop brand. Yes, I remember that. I remember. Never he redid forget, that big office and all of that, yeah. Remember Russell wrote this big open letter to the industry. Okay. From Billboard. Yeah. And Billboard. And it was, like, it, was like, it was like, this is crazy. Yeah. But after I got to siphon them, I worked in them for like three months. And then I got this opportunity someone from the Star Trek side called Def Jam for me. Great. I have an idea of who it is. Okay. But, you know, like... Pharrell, maybe? Sounds like it. I feel like if anyone could do it, it's him. People called and was like... But I was still, like, hustling. Like, when I was working with, like, Siphonum, I used to call TVT Records all the sure. time. And um, there was a guy named Theo Brown. Okay. And I somehow I hustled away into a meeting with Theo Brown. Sure. Theo was like... Yo, you know, I'm doing this thing at Def Jam. Theo had just got hired as in Rob Love's spot at Def Jam. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I'm me with you. He's like, I got this other kid here too. He's my man from TVT. And I was, okay. like, and I was like, all right, man. I was like, yeah, I know. The key. He's like, you know, my partner, Kendall. I was like, I know Kendall. Kendall, remember I picked up those plaques from you. Wow. From TVT for Cypher Sound. He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, because anybody who I met spoke to on the phone, I write their name down. Smart. So I was like, oh, no. You remember we talked on the phone and we did this and we did that. And I picked up that from you. He was like. Oh, yeah, what's up, my boy? He was just with Theo that day. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then um, Theo was like, yeah, I want to bring you. And this is like, I want to say, this is like 
September, October of like 2004. Okay. Then he was like, um, next thing you know, I was like, this guy ain't going to call me back. Right. It's just crazy. Whatever, whatever. The next thing you know, um, Theo calls me. He's like, yo, you got some high friends in high places. People are calling out. This is just when Jay-Z got announced president of Def Jam. Okay. Just when he got announced. He huh. called me. He's like, yo, bro, you got some high friends in high places. Like, what you mean? He's like, yo, I need you to come see me right now. Wow. That's very industry. People want to see you right now. There's not a lot of planning in advance. So I went up there and he was just like, yo, you're going to work with me now. Wow. And I never understood, like. Who I, made that call? I was all feeling myself like, hey, Scythe, man, thank you, brother. You're my brother. I love you. I'm going to Def Jam. <laughs> right. And he was like, for real? And I was like, yeah. And he, I was like, I don't know. You have maybe, a guardian angel. I was in like, the maybe industry. I swagged out my interview. My interview right. was swagged out. Right. But then he's like, nah. Then, but then he told me later someone called, but he still would never tell me. But I have an idea between sure. two people who it was. Sure. And I was just after that. I was like, man, I got in, and I was like, and I'm not stopping now. Now I'm about to go crazy. What department was this? This was radio promotions because okay. when I was at Star Trek. Being on the behind the A and R admin side of it, and being behind the management side of it, the one outlet that I felt was always problematic for like the clips, especially when they were in there, yep. like their it, the situation with Jive, they were always mad that they couldn't get their records out, yeah, couldn't get their records to certain people. But in my relationships of dealing with the Pharrells and those people, was like I knew Big Mike, I knew like mm. this was the mixtape scene was big. I knew mm-hmm. Green Lantern, I knew like I had. Knew like Funkmaster Flex and yeah. K Slay and like those type of kids. So I was like, hey, I got these radio, I got these few DJ relationships. Not too bad. Funkmaster Flex, not a bad guy to have. Yeah. At the era when Hot 97 is like smashing mm-hmm. everything. And they're like the epicenter of all hip hop happenings across the sure. world. And it was just like, I got these things. So when I went to deal with that, he was like, you have what? And he's like, well, your man right here works at Hot 97 too. I was like, even better. So I got in like that. Wow. Then I was like, all right. So I was like, so what do we do? So me and Kendall sat down with Dan, even know him. We sat down. He's like, hey, man, I'm just trying to do my thing. And he wasn't even like a person that was like working there. We were like damn near interns. And he was just like, he was he was managing Fat Man Scoop. Really? And he was like touring the world Thursday through Sunday. And he worked at Def Jam Monday through Wednesday. It's a very industry thing. Have many side hustles. Right. And I was just sit there and I was just like, man. And I was like, you know what we got to do, bro? We got to figure out how to take this over. Yeah. Because we're sitting here and everybody's overlooking us. I know Flex. You know these people. You know this. And at the time, Fat Man Scoop had an overnight show on the weekends. Okay. At Hot 97. And we were just, anyway, long story short, I just we just figured out. We just said, you know, let's put our minds together and figure out how to learn and understand all these DJs. And I showed them our all-access contact list and I showed him my <laughs> the growing list I showed him my notebook with all the names in it it's like look I got all these people and yeah like, that's crazy and yeah like, I work at Honey Summer. here goes a directory list of all the people it's like wow. that's what we're gonna do we're gonna get all their emails mm. and we're gonna send them records wow before all of the executives and promotions do it now how did you do that without the executives and promotions getting really mad we were just after I get out of work at 10 o'clock because I was doing the 9 to 10 shift okay because Kendall worked at Hot 97, we would just go downtown. I would just go downtown and on Hudson Street and stand outside. Wow. So when the Mr. C's, anybody came outside, hey, bro. Oh, we did. I tried to take little white labels mm-hmm. down there and be like, here, here's the vinyl. Carry that heavy vinyl. Yeah. Here goes some new vinyl that no you ain't get yet. Wow. And then we just established like little relationships like the Clues, the Envies. Sure. This is when they were all on overnights at Hot 97. But kind of the established radio guys didn't feel some kind of way. Like, who are these young guys? They did. They were just, they they really tried to block us. So they did try to block you. They did, but like politically, like, those, those, they don't have nothing. Like, we don't know nobody. We know like 12 people. Right. In all of New York City. This was before Power 105 was even a station. Yeah. There was only Kiss, BLS, and Hot 97. Yeah. So it was just like, you're really like cut out. Like, there were a lot of other prominent executives that talked to those people frequently. Okay. Like, so they felt it was low hanging fruit. We don't care. Not really. They was like, yeah, talk to those guys. Those guys are cool. But it was just more like, we were just so hell bent on finding our own way. Mm-hmm. Like, we were like, we need to find a way to figure this out. Yeah. So we used to have all these singles and we had all this stuff. It was like, give us your emails, bro. So we said, look, we're going to create a website. We're going to create this website and we're going to take all these radio singles because we got to find a creative way 
to not just because you can't go out there and compete with legends like right Eric Pauler and mm-hmm. Sam Crespo right and like Norjan like mm-hmm. those are like mega OGs in that like space the Crystal Isaacs of mm-hmm. the world and it's like you just can't do that yeah so we were just trying to find a way to where we can kind of create our own little wave our own little corner so we can have our own like relationship with these type of guys yeah and kind of brand yourself like differentiate yourself yeah we were looking like let's just create a website man and let's start let's put together like all the radio singles mm-hmm. and battle them against each other and figure out how we can you know basically use this as a conversation piece to talk to the djs and say hey guys look at these records these this record's better than that record or this mm-hmm. record or discover this record this record's really good and whatever whatever and what was the name of that website bestofbothoffices.com yep and we built that and I remember one I'll never forget one night we walked in and Theo left early and Theo had the same list we had but he had a list of all the A1 DJs at all the mix shows around the country yeah it's like came to the joiners up in here B so we stole the list right we photocopied it stapled it back together so he wouldn't notice put sure. it back on his desk and we went and we studied it wow and we said when we make this list we're gonna email this and we're gonna call all these dudes mm we're gonna call all these dudes and we're gonna tell them about this website. Website. With the, with these joints on it, and that's what we did. We got the list. I had about, I want to say, like two hundred DJs on there. Mm-hmm. The next one, we got in early and we just started calling DJs. People would even pick up the phone. We would call people like DJ Khaled every day. Wow, five when he was times in Miami. a day. Yeah, yeah, he's on ninety nine jams. We would call like, was calling like just anybody who was prominent in radio. We were just calling them. Wow. Calling, calling, calling. Some people picked up. We got good. Why reason. calling versus email? Because email wasn't that prominent back then. Okay. They were still giving vinyls and CDs. Handoffs, right? But we had MP3s and like we were younger, so we had we were like all right, email. We emailed you directly. It's like email. What's email? Right. They like email. Nah, mail it to my crib, bro. Mail like, it. Everything comes to my crib. So we had to call and say, hey, because the job was you call, you send them the record, tell them the record's coming. You call them when they get it, and you call them after they listen to it, and then you call them to play it. So you might have five, six phone calls. Life before technology. Man, it was crazy. <laughs> right. So when we did this website, we were just like, man. What was on Best of Both Offices? Was this MP3s? Like, what was actually on that It website? was literally just a website, and it was like a... We had the playlist, and it was like, vote for your favorite playlist. Wow. So there's some kind of crowdsourcing of Yeah, we just had a website. Popular. We just yeah. had a website, and we just had like 10 songs on each side. There weren't even anything special. Just, yeah. We didn't know. We just made a website. We had access. We just did it. Yeah. And then one day we were just like, we were just there. It was like, this this is just not working, bro. Like, okay. We did that for like three months and it was just like. Who, what were some of the records that you remember putting on that site? Joel Santana, Whistle. Okay. Um, um, Neo, Bobby V, Slow Down. Oh, yeah. Um. Beanie Siegel, feel it in the air. Wow. Young Guns. It was crazy. It was just like... There were some good records. Oh, they were good records. And we loved all of them. So it was like... We went in there and it was like, this ain't... I'm like... I was like, yo, Kendall, we gotta... We gotta find a better way for this, bro. This is way too slow. Yeah. It's very labor intensive. And I'm with it. And I'm with it because he's there with it. But then when he left on Wednesday... You were by yourself. I was there by myself Thursday and Friday. Bobby B, slow down. Whistle, Jewels. And it was cool because I was like, all right, well, I can get a head start on a lot of stuff. But I felt like a responsibility. Like, while he was handling that, I had to handle this. Yeah. So I got to figure out another way. So he came back. And we saw that's that was in the mixtape era where everybody was like buying mixtapes and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever. And it's like, this just ain't working, bro. Yeah. I'm tired of calling Khaled. (laughs) Right. He never picks up. (laughs) I know he listens to all the voicemails. Right. And it was like, you know what? Kendall's like, we just can't stop, bro. We just can't stop. Yeah. So long story short, Kendall started working on night shift with all the DJs Monday through Thursday. It was green. It was cool on Monday, Green Lantern on Tuesday. I want to say Wednesday was Wednesday was Envy. Thursday was K Slay. Okay. Hot ninety seven mix shows. And what we started to do, we were just like. They were all heavy mixtape DJs at the time. Yeah. Like still selling hard, hard, hard copy CDs at the Harlem Music Hut uptown mm-hmm. and on Canal Street. And Kendall was like, yo, I met the connect. All these he's like, I got an idea. Mm. There's these, there's this kid that distributes all these mixtapes. Oh. 
like he's like who's yo, that? He, he's like he distributes Sycamore. He distributes he distributes DJ Sycamore, K Slay, wow. Green Lantern. I was like, for real, it was like a mixtape. It's like, bro, we don't rap. Like, what are you right. talking about? He's like, no, think about it. The playlist from the website could be a mixtape. Let's put it on the mixtape. I'm like, Kendall, nobody's gonna want clean records. Right. And then he was like, that's true. But I said, but it's a, we got to put a brand on it. We got to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. I was like, no one's going to buy clean music with no DJ. And they're not a DJ. I'm not a right. DJ. Steve and Kendall present, right? Right. So then we just thought about it. And I said, I got it. Hmm. We'll just name the name of the website and we'll put it on the mixtape. But at this time, the idea came up because this is when 50 started beefing with Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Like taking shots. And was like, I'm Curtis. 50 Cent, no, I'm I'm Curtis Interscope Jackson. And Jay-Z was the president of Def Jam. Mm-hmm. He's like, nobody's big enough. I own Interscope. Right. Got an idea. So we took Best of Both Offices was the best of Def Jam versus Interscope. Wow. So we took, we put 50 Cent and Jay-Z on the cover, <laughs> on a split screen, and we put Best of Both Offices as the title, and on... We took all the best. So now we went and we called the Interscope rep and said, give See, us all your singles. who are you singles. working? Yeah. They gave us all their singles, new, established, hit records. Yeah. Put on this playlist. And then we did it again on all our Def Jam stuff, our Def Jam playlist. Wow. And then we uploaded that on our website. Wow. While, while we did the CD, he's like, yo, the guy pressed it up. I was like, all right, cool. He pressed it up. We pressed it like 10,000. guys. He made... That's when I realized how much money the mixtape game was making. Right. How did you sell it through that intermediary who was actually like distributing or our distributor our good friend who's a very good friend of mine to this day okay he was just distributing he distributed he distributed like 10,000 copies in one day it blew and for like you said ten dollars a piece it's a decent amount of money we made a lot of money right but then after a while it got bad because then everybody's like what is this best of both offices tape so now when i'm on the train going home at night i'm seeing the bootleg versions of our tape wow on at the train station on the floor being sold that's funny. But they were just buying. People were just buying because 50 and Jay-Z was on the cover. And they thought it somehow it had to do with them. They were Branding. Just yeah. I was like, oh, this is crazy. So they started, so we making money. Now we not all. Now all right. is a trap. Right. We in there packaging CDs and right. shipping them out and selling them. It was like, we got a straight thing going on. And then after we sold out, we rolled that out for like three months on the same song. Did any of the DJs you wanted to hit, were they now fucking with those records? Because of the mixtape? Yeah, because then we started mailing them out to people. The and they ones thought that, this was a legit mixtape. The ones that we weren't selling, we like, like, all right, we got 50. We can spare 50. But sure. we started making so much money. We was like, we're not giving these out. Wow. So the 50, we give them out. People like, what is this best of both offers thing? Right. Like, but then we just understood the, the premise of branding and how important that was. And it was like, this is powerful. Because now when we go out in the street, people are saying it like, the best of both offices, kids, and but they don't know who it is. Right? Are they this DJs? This, we have no idea. Producers. It's in the area of like Tate Masters Inc. Sure. And like no one knew who those guys were. So mm-hmm. it was like this pseudo like ghostwriter putting yeah. out these records. It was like how are they getting like these records from these major artists and new records, like records that hadn't even broken yet. And not knowing as two kids in the promotions department selling thousands and th- tens of thousands of CDs out their office. Wow. Which was a closet that had UPS machines in it. Right. So we're in there doing that. So after three months, it got weird. I was like, nah, let's do a new one, bro. Oh. Let's do a new tape and let's call it Atlantic versus Universal. Okay. King of the South edition. So it was Lil Wayne versus T.I. Wow. And then that's when I got us in trouble. <laughs> do tell. So we did that. started pressing. Started selling that like crazy. Yeah. Crazy, crazy selling it. And we would put it on our website. This is before websites were even like thought of as anything like yeah, this predates like the music blog, SoundCloud. Like oh, you yeah. guys were at the ahead of the wave for sure. We did that, and it was like so. Next thing you know, now we have both up there. We still have the first volume up. And so the Atlantic two. people gave you their records, or yeah, no? no? We called them. We called them. You did there. call them. So okay, so they it was everything was on. No, the up it was and up. all illegal. Sure. Because <laughs> it's like you're selling promotional music. So right. long story short, we're selling them. But now. Somehow it catches wind in the streets. And then this is when Envy started working at So So Deaf. And then it just got to a place where people were like, who are these kids? And there's a website now. Mind you, I wasn't even a real employee at Dev Jam at the time. We were like consultants, interns that were getting paid under the table. Health insurance or no health insurance? No health insurance. Okay. 
But it didn't matter to me and Kendall because we were making so much money off the mixtape. Sure. Like, you could pay us a little $500 a week. Like, right. we're making five grand out this office a week. Yeah, like, for sure. It was crazy. So, it wasn't hard though being in the Def Jam office knowing we're making all this money. Our brand is hot in the streets, but when you're just at Def Jam, you have to act very nonchalant. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're just working stuff. Hey. Yeah, and I was teaching them what I had learned. I was like, can't let nobody know it's us. So you did tell a few trusted people in Def Jam, this is the secret I mean, the operation. people that knew, knew, like, our, we had interns of our own, so we, like, don't tell nobody. You're sworn to secrecy. Yeah, like, we would stay late, lock our door, yeah. make the CDs, put it out. I was like, don't tell nobody that it's us. Wow. So it was just moving around like these kids, these kids, these kids, these and kids. And even in the industry, that best of both offices, it just started circulating. Even before people knew it was you and Sav. Yeah. Kendall, by the way. It was circulating because then the mixtape started circling at Atlantic. Yep. And then it started circulating at Universal. Mm-hmm. Right? And then they found the website because then we started putting the website on the back of the CD. So now when all the people who want to sue you for copyright <laughs> They know where to go. They went straight to the website because we didn't have emails at that time. Right. No one was using emails. They went to the website. And they saw us and we had our like both vines. And it's like, there's a Dev Jam piece. And the next thing you know, we're in Dev Jam one day and we're sitting there. We're like, we're making our regular phone calls. And um, never forget, it was like a Wednesday afternoon. And this girl down the hall comes and said, yo. The RIAA is here. He's <laughs> like, yo, there's an email chain going around and everyone is asking who you guys are. Whoa. I'm like, who, us? <laughs> I'm like, bro, we got to go. We've been we've been found out. Wow. So they were like, so there's, there's like, there's an email chain going around. It's like, from who? Like, from who? Right. We got excited. Like, who? I'm like, I get scared. Like, what's going on again? Right. It's like, damn. I was like, I thought they're going to catch us as illegal interns or illegal. Right, right. Like, damn. Or you're making money on the side. Yeah, sure. this is like six months into the gig or whatever. This is Now it's like February of 2005. Hmm. Jay-Z's there is like everything's mad sensitive because Jay-Z walks the hallways it's did Jay have any idea about this little trap no. house situation he had no idea okay. we're, in a, we're in a room this small it was crazy yeah boxes to the ceiling it was crazy so the website so I said show me the website I was like show me the emails see the emails like this is crazy we went to look at the stats of our site it went from like 50 people a week to like 5,000 people wow and they were like voting but what the email was is Everybody circulate this and vote for us to be Interscope. Whoa. So Def Jam was like, they were treating it like a 106 in Park almost. Like- yeah. So I got to the international department. It was like, vote, vote, vote. Don't let Interscope or 50 beat us. It was like a but friendly then, competition. Yeah. But then Business Affairs is like, well, whose website is and who's selling our music? And we're not getting a cut of it. Yeah. So he's like, well, who are these kids? So we had our names at the top, Young Sav and Steve O. He's oh, like, shit. who's Young Sav and Steve O? They didn't even know your and name. Then, like then there was like a song with Envy talking, and they called, and they started pressing Envy. Envy wow. worked at Sosa Def at Island Urban Music at the time. They pressing him like, yo, you put this mixtape. He's like, nah, that's not me. It's not me. Which is the parent, Universal's the parent company, so it's yes. almost like his super bosses were pressing him. Now, I got to corporate. Corporate was like, someone is selling our music illegally. This is in the mixtape era where Things songs, are kind of like, yeah. This is, this is post-Napster is mad sensitive. Yeah. So we're selling, we're making this Had money. Drama gotten in trouble yet or no around this time? I think he might have been. I can't remember. He had to be. Yeah, I think he was just getting in trouble. Okay, so basically the industry was kind of on high alert. Everybody was cracking down. Because mm-hmm. remember, it was so sensitive. We were like, damn. Right. We're in trouble. So the next thing you know, they're like looking for us and everybody's looking for us. And they're like, why are you looking for us, bro? Yeah. Why are you? They're like, because you're leaking music. Did you kind of know though in your heart that you were leaking music and making money illegally yeah but it was like who cares it's on the streets sure and guess what all the artists it was so popping like we ended up being best friends with Joel santana yeah so that that first album with the games were missing like me and sav like we personally did that wow with garnett reed so it was like we personally like you're getting it. results you're making money so what's the we're big making deal? money all the artists are like that's y'all were the artists mad, though, that you were kind of making money and they weren't getting a cut? Or was just the label that they was mad? They didn't care. Mixtapes was different in that era. They just yeah. cared about being on the tape. So then people started emailing us and calling us about putting Like, put song, me on the next put one. Put me on the next version. It was like, but we never got past volume two. We're actually <laughs> right? doing a volume three, and it was going to be Death Row versus Bad Boy. Whoa. That would have been a good one. That's how crazy we was getting. Yeah. So then 
after that, they were just looking for us. And, so, and you're like hiding in your little closet. So I was like, we got to go, bro. We got we to gotta bail. Wow. So me and we bailed. We got out the building. It was like, they ain't about to catch me in there with this. Right. So then they were just looking for us. Like, those are the kids in promotions. And they pulled like us the in kids off. in the closet. So they called us like, you did this. But by the time they caught us, it was just like, they were just on some, on some shit. Like, how did y'all amass this type of popularity this fast? Because you had mastered the internet before they had. It was the internet, and then it was in the street. Mm-hmm. Now all the DJs from Green Lantern to K-Slay, DJ Clue, Envy, they were all shouting it out on the radio at night. And that was like an influential thing back then for new artists. So new artists were calling us like, let me get on your tape and let me like get me on it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, this is crazy. That's like my first taste of like little, little success. And we were just like, man, we really got the power. But it went so far and deep like... Our distributor at the time was just like, bro, it's getting distributed in Atlanta. Wow. In Miami. Did Khaled finally respond? I feel like he yes. was the guy. He did. What did he say? That I'll never forget it. We called one day and then he picked up the phone for Kendall. So wow. I would try, Kendall try, and then Kendall would try, and then I would try. All right. From different numbers or the same number? Same number. Okay. And then Kendall's like, I got him. <laughs> oh my God, it's Khaled. He's like, yo, Khaled, you know, and then you got three seconds of talking. He was like, you know. See, so it worked. It worked. Yeah. When people are like, that's you guys? And, and that's kind of like how we got like a little nor notoriety. Yeah, for sure. From them. And then we just went back to like, we were just giving content. We were just still just doing our content. We were just like, let's just double down on the content. Yeah. And then Complex pops up. Mm -hmm. And they started doing content. And then they, call, they called us one day. It was like, look, we're just going to buy you. Wow. We'll do an advertising deal with you. We'll just buy you. Okay. All in our closet. And Out we of the like, closet, yeah. So we did a deal with Complex. Mm-hmm. When all the new music cartel, misinfo, everybody right. was going through them. And we just, we did this deal for this advertising thing. And it was just like, by that time, all of our content was getting poached and people were making it themselves. And sure. they were just, so it just fell off because it's like, no one was coming to us to get that no more. Yep. Because they, it was the era. And everyone had a flip cam now. So literally every blogger was now making content. All the bloggers were becoming popular. So it was just like, we're losing. So it was like, we'll just do a blog, bro. We'll just post content, but. Our numbers just dwindled and dwindled mm -hmm. and dwindled and dwindled. So now today, we still own the website. Like, we okay. still have the website. Now, so did Complex buy you out or it was just no, some sort of like partnership deal? It was like an average, it was a partnership deal for like three years and then we just got out of okay. it. It was like, we just want our name back. Okay, that's fair. So it just gave us our name back and we just cut ties. Yeah. But after that, it was so dry, we just never did nothing again. But at that point, we were just, we were just like really deflated. Like, well, what could we do next? And it's like, this ain't, Staying in this company is not really going to be the upward trajectory for us. Yeah. So we need to leave. Yeah. So it just so happens at the time, we used to go on these tours with the artists. So Jeezy started calling me. Mm-hmm. And Rick Ross started calling Kendall. Yep. But we never knew because we just never, we both, I felt like we both were like, we're tired of being in this little office together. <laughs> right. But also at the same time, I felt like, we didn't want to jinx our own situation and we didn't want to make the other feel insecure about one of us moving on without sure. each other. Because we've been together for like, now eight years we've been together like like Siamese twins and yep. now the thought of saying, well, now one of us are going to move on past the next one. How is that going to look? It's How's an awkward that? conversation. It's awkward because it's going to be like, oh, one guy made it above the next guy so it looks like that guy is not as talented as that guy and that wasn't the case. Yep. It was just so funny. So at one point I just... It got so crazy. I was talking to Atlantic Records and Craig Cameron was calling me. And he's like, I just love what you guys are doing. Did you do this? Did you do that? He's like, but I only want you and what you're trying to do. I was like, wow. I'm trying to be A&R, bro. Okay. And he was like, all right, all right, all right. He's like, well, I'll give you an A&R job. Great. He's like, I'll triple your salary. Great. It's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. So I thought about thought about it. Then I told him. And then Jeezy started calling me. Jeezy had just did a label deal at Atlantic Records, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. CT. It was like 2012. So he was like, no, 2011. So he was like, yo, you know, I message you a lot. I want you to come and run my label for me. Mm -hmm. I need someone like you. Like, we really do, like, crazy good work. And I was like, it's just crazy. Yeah. So I got my, I had to, I had to hire an attorney. Right. The craziness. And they basically offered me, like, a dual job to be president of Jeezy's label. Yep. And have, like, this executive A&R role in. Um, At Atlantic. In Atlantic Records. I was like. Wow. Too easy, like. Sure. So I had to go tell Kendall. I'm like, bro, that's what I'm doing. Had you, so you hadn't told him at all some of these conversations? Wow. No, so I ended up 
me and him went out. We was just in the office late one day, and I said, like, look, bro, I got this opportunity. I'm about to tell him tomorrow I'm going to resign. Wow. He was like, for real? It's like, bro, you know, but I'm going to, we're going to figure it out or whatever. I was I was feeling crazy, and he said, you took the, the stress off my shoulders because Ross offered me a job, too. Wow. I said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah. So we compared, and I was like, that's You were both crazy. trying to break up with each other amicably. Yeah, he, I was like, that's crazy. And I was like, when are you resigning? He's like, probably next week. Perfect. I was like, well, I'm going tomorrow. Wow. I got to go now. Yeah. He's like, well, I'll be two weeks behind you. Wow. We did it. So he went to work straight for MMG. MMG Atlantic. MMG and Atlantic. So you guys were still kind of under the same What's so umbrella. funny is when we left Dev Jam and we went to Atlantic, our offices were side by side to each other. That's funny. They did that on purpose, though. Yeah. We want to keep the Siamese twins together. And they together. wanted to put the Best of Both Offices logo between us. Right. Okay. It was a crazy. We had like a whole corner of the thing. We had these offices. It was, just, it was cool. It was the dopest thing. And it was just like, man, it was like, it was great. It was very like um, gratifying. Like we had did all this work and we were still regarded as a team, but we we're in two different places. Yep. And we were doing like bigger things in our career. And it was like, I got this mega title and I'm running around doing stuff. And now I have access to whatever, whatever. And, yeah. You know, I think when people kind of have these dual roles, there's only so much bandwidth you have, right? So you're mm-hmm. technically running Jeezy's label, but you're also supposed to be a and at Atlantic. Yep. How do you do both? Like if Jeezy needs you right now in the studio, but you guys are taking a new artist meeting or pitching, it's, how do you do both? You don't. Okay. That's the hardest thing about it. Yeah. You can't, you can do both, but it's hard because... Jeezy's still one of the greatest, most legendary, prolific artists of our generation. So it's like you cannot, you cannot cheat him on bandwidth and yeah. attention. Yeah. But you have a role to do, and it's like something's gonna suffer. So mm-hmm. at a point, it just became, well, what is it gonna be? Is it gonna be, is it gonna be Jeezy? Or is it gonna be Atlantic? Yeah. And then you have to start deciding. All right, well, let me try to buffer the both of them and figure out how to make this make sense because. Mm-hmm. Jeezy, your success is contingent upon Atlantic as an entrepreneur and vice versa with Atlantic. Sure. With this deal you did with this artist and I'm in the middle and I'm banking on it too because this is, I left the great mighty gates of Dev Jam to come and do this. Mm -hmm. You feel me? So it's like, I can't fail on my face what I'm going to do after this. Like I have to make sure that this works somehow. How do you make the artist understand though? Because I think, especially as the artist, if you have your own label in your mind, my phone call should always be answered or I should be priority if I'm in the studio how do you kind of work just that the personal angle I think the personal angle is it's easy. hard to say no to rappers you got to be patient you just got to be respectful because mm-hmm. they're humans they're people and they're creative so it's like a lot of people if you're not an artist you don't respect the art not because you don't you're not a rapper you don't you know? get it you, you, there's just certain things you're just not gonna get mm-hmm. there's certain things that I don't get I'm not an artist but I'm so close to it I have like these sensibilities to it that um that I can sense what mm-hmm. it is and I try to be as understanding and patient as possible. It's like these guys are running multi-million dollar businesses while they're being parents to children, being an artist for fans, being a mentor to outsiders and being support, a support system to a staff and an entourage of people who need that. That's a lot of bandwidth for one person and turn around and live under the pressures of an album versus what you do in your business versus trying to stay relevant amongst all the new things that are burgeoning on on, on underground. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a very unique talent, though, to be able to deal with artists. Yeah. It's a thing you got to have. You have to be patient. You have to be understanding. And you got to have respect. If you don't have those things, you're not going to survive with them because it's like they don't respect that. Mm-hmm. These guys are. These guys spend. I'm very sensitive to because I watch these guys kill themselves an hour after hour in the studio, only to come out and be judged upon it by people who don't know what you did, what you poured into it, the man hours, the sacrifice from your family, from your businesses, all the things that you gave up to ensure that this product is this, and then it goes out and they wash it away. And say that's not good. You're whack, or that's not. Or it's the greatest thing in the world. Did you ever have to deal with that with Jeezy when you were running his label? For sure. Yeah. Every day. In the middle of in the middle of that, we were working on the Scene It All album. Hmm. We were trying to put that together. Mm-hmm. We, were, we did that album three times. Wow. Three times we did that album. 
Like we recorded three versions of that album. Hmm. At some point, did you tell him we just have to pull the trigger? Like we can't. Yeah, it was like, bro, you got to stop. Right. At a point, we just got to stop. Yeah. We just got to stop. And it was just. Our creation is still a very intimate process. Very. It's a very intimate process. And sometimes it took me this far and this long to really have the level of respect for it that I do now. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm more like, I don't let them, I don't let nobody do artists bad or talk crazy about them. Or now if they do weird stuff like show up late, disrespectful to people. Then I'm going to say, hey, you out of you out of touch, you out of tone, and you're not going to go very far being like that. You got to be a good person. Always, you got to be professional. This is not an easy job to do, but it's still a job. Sure. And you have, and people expect stuff from you, especially when they're giving you something for it. Like my job, they expect things from me. Yeah. I just try to do it with the utmost respect and integrity, and you, then you have fun. Yeah, it's still hip-hop. It gets, gets tumultuous at times, but... There's more good times than bad times and the experiences I have with people. Which is important. To me. Yeah. Because people, this this thing will spit you up, chew you up and spit you out. Yeah. And it's a tough, tough thing. But, you know, that's why I try to base what I do on integrity and honesty and trust. If I was like, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to be there. Right. Even if I don't want to be there, I'm going to go. Sure. Because like, it's just stupid. You just want me to stand here and be... Uh, an accessory in the room with you, but I get it. Yeah. You just want... And your word means something. I think that's something a lot of people, just the basic building blocks of professionalism, people kind of forget. Yeah. So that's for me is like, when you look at the business of music, they're artists. You got to respect the artist. You got to respect the art. And everything else is after that. But if you kind of start on that level and basis, it's cool. You can kind of kind of get through things pretty easily totally the only thing i guess challenges your moral or ethic beliefs how do you reconcile that because i think some artists are super talented but their personal life they may live in a way that conflicts with your beliefs have you ever faced that at all or yeah all the time i do i do all the time but i just build it on like look I always like to say, here was what it is. Mm-hmm. You make the decision. I never make it my decision. I only right. make it my decision if I feel like it's hurtful to me. Let's say there's an artist, though, super talented, but for whatever reason, you don't agree with how they're living their life. Mm-hmm. Would you potentially not fuck with them? Because you're like... No, how you live your life. I feel like I oh, when I say I care about the person, how they live, is because that affects the work. Okay. Then it affects... If you have a fucked up household mm-hmm. you're gonna have a bad work experience yeah and if you have a bad work experience the output of that is gonna be whatever it is mm-hmm. good or bad so what I like to look at it as is like okay that's bad it's none of my business mm-hmm. but I'm only gonna judge the thing that I have input on but what if that behavior just for sake of argument let's say leads to like charges or which could potentially fuck up not just the artistic trajectory but also their career path would you ever potentially pass on talent because you just see okay this is going to be too much of an issue yeah, if i if i if i explain it to them when i feel like they didn't re- receive my word okay or if i've said it to them in so many times so often i'm like there's no way yeah you're just being disrespectful mm-hmm. then it's cool then i'll just be like this me and my time is expensive so if i spend this expensive investment into you yeah of time and care and it's going to hurt me, mm-hmm. then I'm going to make a decision for myself at that point. Do you ever get very involved in personal lives of artists? I try not to. Okay. But you know, like when you spend so much time with someone, you it's natural. It's a natural thing, but I don't, I don't try to be. And it's like, if I'm in, I'm in, it's cool. Like mm-hmm. you get to meet their kids and their counterparts and their families. And yeah. like, it's cool and it's great. But it's like, I don't, I don't delve into a lesson like that real. If our relationship is really at that level. Yeah. You know well, there saying? seems to be a trend right now in hip hop of, a lot of artists being signed oftentimes off like a SoundCloud record or, you know, they're viral on Twitter or Instagram. And later, once they get signed, you start seeing what's kind of perceived as problematic behavior. Could be behavioral, drug issues, issues with domestic violence. And I think oftentimes on the outside, people wonder where does the onus fall? Like, should the label step in and, you know, mentor them or should they just not sign 
these type of problematic artists? Should their manager be putting them in rehab? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you ever kind of come across those type of situations? Because I think, yeah. you know, nowadays it's really hot, hard to hide your dirt. You know, like there will be some random YouTube or tweet you put out or TMZ is on it. Mm -hmm. If you have any court case, mm -hmm. right? Like, so does that ever kind of come across like your mind at all? And how do you kind of deal with it? No, how I deal with it is just more about like they're people. Yeah. So I just try to, I feel like when it comes to that, I think everyone should get involved. Okay. If there's a label, if there's a manager, I feel like it's everyone's responsibility. I don't think it's just one person's responsibility. Um, but how I deal with that, if I'm close enough or if I have a way to get in, then I'll, I won't be in there, but like intervention, but I'll be like, right. Hey bro, or hey lady, this is what's happening. These are the facts. Here's my opinion on those facts. Sure. And only because I care. Yeah. Only because I care and I see, I see this being problematic down the line. If everyone focused and focused on more about what makes them happy, no, it sounds really, really like that. We're getting really touchy feely. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody cared about like just like just doing the best that made them feel good, wouldn't have a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. So closing up, what makes you happy? I love. It's like a high you get, right? You work on an album. I don't even know. It's like you. It's like the. It's like the moment it goes up, and there's like a. It goes out, like you did it, and then it's at retail at the streaming services. There's like a a euphoria that you get. That's like. Whew. It's like right when you're about to go over a roller coaster, and you're like oh. Right before your stomach drops. Yeah, it's like. And it don't even last a long. It might be 15 minutes long. It might be two hours long. And then you got to do it all over again. Right. That's what makes me happy. That little moment, I'll, it's like a high. It's like I'll go try to get the high every single time. Over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what makes me happy.